Um, well, <laughs> unless there are any questions. <laughs> um, I will put this back here because it is truly spooky. Um, like, if you got close to it, not only, not all, it's like, it, it's sort of like a hat on top of a hat on top of a hat, if you ask me, because like the, ca- the candle holder was spooky. And then they were like, well, the candles in the universe of this candlestick, the candles would bleed. And then they were like, and just in case, little bats. Just in case someone sees it and they're not spooked out enough, we're like, put little hats. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. How do you win over your boss? Your boss is the most important person in your career because without them on side, you are not going to One more time for Julio Torres. Taylor, can you pause that real quick? How do you win over your boss? Okay. Um, Taylor, can you rewind that back and start from uh, the beginning there? How do you win over your boss? Your boss is the most important person in your career because without them on side, you are not going to get very far, whether it's in terms of pay, promotion or assignments. Frankly, I have never seen anyone get promoted without their boss's support, unless of course that boss was about to be fired. But if we start from the assumption that you're excellent and that you don't have a bad boss, then here are three strategies for winning over your boss. First, Columbus, Ohio, six years before 2017, there lived a strange pair of men, the anarcho-comedians. No one knows how they got people to listen, or how much weed they were smoking. But their legacy remains, distributed across the worldwide web as Street Fight Radio. Street Fight. Was it short drugs? But Dad, it's not like you kid. Dad, answer me. Street Fight. Taught you how to do this stuff. You are right. I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. The oath of enlistment. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Street fight. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders. Street fight of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Where lies the strangling fruit that came from the hand of the Sinarai shall bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that gather in the darkness and surround the world with the power of their lives while from the dim lit halls of other places forms that never were and never could be right for the impatience of the few 
you never saw what could have been. In the black water with the sun shining at midnight, those fruits shall come ripe, and in the darkness of that witch's golden shall split open to reveal the revelation of the fatal sunkness in the earth. The shadows of the abyss are like the petals of a monstrous flower that shall blossom within the skull and expand the mind beyond what any man can bear, but whether it decays under the earth or above on green fields, or out to sea, or in the very air, all shall come to revelation, and to revel, in the knowledge of the strangling fruit, and the hand of the sinner shall rejoice, for there is no sin in shadow or in light that the seeds of the dead cannot forgive. And there shall be in the planting in the shadows a grace and a mercy from which shall blossom dark flowers, and their teeth shall devour and sustain and herald the passing of an age. That which dies shall still know life in death, for all that decays is not forgotten and reanimated and shall walk the world in the bliss of not knowing. And then there shall be a fire that knows the making of you, and in the presence of the strangling fruit, its dark flame shall acquire every part of you that remains. Welcome to hell, you motherfucking screamers. It's humor and the abject. Fucking live. Can you believe it? This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. Thanks for coming out tonight. We're sponsored this week by the United States military, the D.A.R.E. program, and your goddamn boss. Are you ready to speedle? Let me hear a yeah, why not? I said, let me hear a yeah, why not? One more time. Let me hear a yeah, why not? And where are they now? Brett and Brian, Street Fight Radio. And what would they say to us if we were here? I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs> it's uh, episode 24 of the Human the Abject podcast. Uh, thank you all for coming out this evening and checking this thing out live. It's wonderful to see you, and I'm very happy with the, with the crowd here. Um, could we hear it once again for Anna Fabreg and Julio Torres, please? Uh, and I would also like to give it up for Taylor Moore, who's running the boards and help put this together. He's also bartending and doing sound. Uh, and is Zach here? Uh, Zach from Throne Watches, who let us put this together here. He's coming down the stairs now. This is very beautiful. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Uh, so how is everyone doing tonight? Doing good? We feeling all right? The weather's beautiful, yes. It's very lovely. So, um, this evening I'm very happy to have a couple of guests on the first live show. They are visiting from out of town. Many of you probably listen to their podcast. They've been doing it for several years. Uh, six years now, I think, if that's correct. That's got to be hundreds of episodes. Um, so, Taylor, could you, uh, 
cue up the cue up the tune there. know that song uh ladies and gentlemen the number one anarcho comedy show on any station across the nation please welcome brett payne and brian quimby from street fight radio uh their mission their mission is to make everything flat uh the earth the society economics uh all of those types of things so we don't have to make the earth flat it's already flat thank you brian our job right (laughs) playing the hits tonight guys (laughs) no more no more worries about the shape of the earth we're done we figured that one out doesn't matter anyways uh gentlemen welcome to human the abject how are you both doing great thanks for having us coming out of a two-day panic attack (laughs) yeah yeah uh, have, have you been enjoying New York so far? Yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. It's, I thought it was going to suck. <laughs> so being here and it not sucking has been pretty nice. Wonderful. <laughs> we, really, we wanted to hate it so bad. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I used to watch City Guys on TNBC. You ever watch that show? No. No, well, nobody back in Ohio, fucking we, watched that show. Back in Ohio, we had this show called City Guys, and they rode subways, and there was bodegas, and there was all of that stuff, and I finally got it, and I can't shit on it at all. <laughs> I know. I wanted to just be like, fuck this place. We got everything in Columbus that this place has, but I mean, it's sort of true, but there's like a hundred of every cool thing here. <laughs> there's one there. Well, we're glad to be slowly converting you. Um, you know, I... I just feel like we need to get something out of the way here. I, I understand that something happened at your hotel recently. Yeah, we got kicked out of our hotel. So that's been a negative for this trip. <laughs> that was a big departure. Um, <laughs> they don't want you to vape in the room, apparently. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not, there's no ashes. It doesn't stink up the place. It's like uh, incense or something, right? You're not allowed to do incense in the rooms either. That's smoke. Incense? That's actually smoke, too. Well, then maybe we got in trouble for the Nog Chompa in my bag then. <laughs> That's possible. Uh, now I'm starting to think that they saw the Kratom, and they were like, that must be some powder weed or something. <laughs> like, I, it seemed like they, they seemed so fucking freaked out about weed uh-huh. that it was like, that these people, like, isn't, I'd imagine they've seen it before or I, have probably. smelled it because I can't go anywhere in the city without smelling it and urine. <laughs> How many New Yorkers like weed out there? There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm really sorry to uh, I'm really sorry to hear that that. Happened. Oh fuck them! It's not your fault. It was the really stern looking man. It is definitely not my. Fault. They also the weird thing about it was this guy. I'm like we weren't smoking, and he was like I need you to just leave here peacefully, and he was like I'm gonna bring. I'm, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring security up to make sure that you leave peacefully. And he had like a 65-year-old, four-foot-tall man standing next to him. And I was like, well, I could take him. I could guarantee that. Is that your security? Yeah. <laughs> um, now, for anybody in the audience or anybody listening to this episode who isn't familiar with Street Fight Radio, could you give a little rundown of what, what it is that both of you do? Sure, absolutely. Uh, we started because we were doing podcasts at the time. A buddy of ours said, hey, y'all should do a show together. And uh, we kicked the other two guys off his podcast and started Street Fight six years ago. 
yeah, I, I mean, it was like uh, they made this huge mistake of like leaving us together. We didn't even know each other, and I would venture to say that we didn't even like each other. <laughs> I was skeptical. Yeah. So, I mean, look at him, right? He is like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast with a 36-year-old cable guy dad. That's going to fucking get me to New York. I'm sure of it. And then, like, well, I felt like I was being groomed, too, because he was was a father at the time. And then he starts coming to me like, I don't don't trust this fucking government no more, man. And I'm like, I don't think I do either. Like, I think I'm a... An anarchist. <laughs> I actually remember the conversation that we had when I was like, Brett, I'm hearing a lot of this anarchy and I'm really liking it. And he was like, you know, you know what, man? Feel free to be an anarchist. Nobody can tell you not to. I was like, fed. <laughs> yeah, I, I had known him for like six months and I was like, yes, fly the black flag. It's just funny because you do this podcast, this kind of fucking like, I mean, basically like an Opie and Anthony sort of ripoff. I was huge fans of those guys and like Ron and Fez and Howard Stern. I just wanted to do something really fucking edgy. You know what I mean? So the other two guys were all in on that. Brett was sort of okay with it. Sort of would be like, sometimes maybe we should stop this edgelord shit. But like... (laughs) The empath. They both go on vacation at the same time. And Brett and I eat a bunch of fucking weed and we sit across the table from each other and we're like, we need to blow up this fucking government, man. (laughs) This show took this like really dark turn and I was like, maybe we should go down that path. That seems like something nobody's doing. We also got in a lot lot of trouble because in Ohio, um, college football is king there. And and thank you, small town folk that are in the crowd tonight. And we basically spent the whole show being like, why are 40-year-old men obsessed with what teenagers are doing off the football field? And you're like, it's my right. I listen to sports radio all day about this. I'm an expert. And we're like, fuck you. And we're screaming about like, you fucking people, they are working for free. It's sick that you watch this shit. And it's like, like somebody's watching it and like, this fucking sucks, man. I hate you. What have you done to my show? Wait, what happened to the... So, wait, how did, how did you let the other fellas down? Ah, uh, you know, it, it, the show had kind of winded down, and it was starting to wind down. Hit, was well, that called Street Fight? What was that called? Uh, no, nah, it was a different show. I'm not going to you what that show is called. You, can't, you have to figure that out for yourself. About 43 people in Groveport, Ohio listen to it, so you're <laughs> never going to get your hands on it. But uh, we just, we just kind of like... We started going, I started doing, I was like, I'm going to do an open mic. And I called all three of the other guys and he went with me. And I was like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? Because like we'd been working together, but probably said six words to each other. It would be like, we, we, he would show up, we'd go down, record the show. And then I would angrily leave like two hours later and just go home. There wasn't like a lot of conversations, but then, you know, I mean, doing stand-up the first time is fucking stressful. And, like, the fact that the other guys didn't go with me was, like, you know, this guy went with me. And then he did it the very next week. And it was just kind of, like, that's when we started doing it every day. And this thing built from that. Is this, like, 2011? Yeah, it was 2011. We were... (laughs) It's You wouldn't believe how unpopular anarcho-comedy was in 2011. What is that? Are there other folks that use that sort of descriptor? 
to describe what they do? I don't think so. I mean, I try to be first on that one, I hope. I just, that, that's the best part about being first is you're number one. <laughs> it's like, so in Columbus, an open mic night is a lot of guys doing a rough approximation of what a New York or L.A. comic does. So it's like, oh, I'm out here jerking off and riding on the subway and farting and shit. <laughs> I would go on stage and be like, I like to steal my daughter's cough syrup. And like, I fucking, I, I, I stole, uh, here's a funny joke about stealing copper wire. Or like, <laughs> I tried to convince all the kids to revolt against the school because there were tax hikes. Like I had five minutes. It's 1.30 in the morning. And I'm telling this guy like, tonight we're taking over Ohio State University if you're with me. <laughs> And then some guy went up after me and was like, you ever seen those commercials where a guy is crazy and he <laughs> has a lot of deals? Did, uh, did both of you, did, are both of you from Columbus originally? Or, yeah. yeah, I'm from Groveport, but it is like 10 miles from Columbus. Okay. It's, like, I live near, a, like, I was, we're both pretty close to downtown, but the weird, it's really weird, but like you could live five miles from downtown in Columbus and never go downtown for your whole life. And if you do, they're absolutely convinced you're going to get stabbed. So <laughs> I never went there. Very, I didn't go there. The only time we really went there when I was growing up was to buy bongs and shit. <laughs> Like get out bongs and, and corn import albums. There was, they had a, they had those UFO pants. You remember UFOs? Anybody that's over twenty five? Wait, are those like Zubas? No, they were like these. No, they well Anybody? they were just as big. Like yeah. they were gigantic, like parachute material pants. Okay. With, like the cargo pockets and like strings hanging off of them. They were oh. raver pants. That's. Cool. I mean, what I liked about them was. Uh, uh, I'm a ca- I was a cable guy for a while, and a lot of pockets really helped. <laughs> but they wouldn't let me wear UFOs on the job. It was bullshit. I hated it. Oh, you got to wear jeans. All right. Jesus. Uh, before- now, wait. Now, I wear jeans and boots to do comedy. It's like yeah! I'm, I'm following the dress code five years after I've left the company that I ruthlessly fought against the entire time I was there. No, I'm, I'm, I would take tennis shoes, like regular shoes, in my van and put them in there. And as soon as I got a mile down the road, I'd take my boots off and put my regular yeah. shoes on. Oh, man. I don't know why that just made me think of this, but did you ever this, uh, see that Canadian TV show that was uh, sort of like a Canadian cowboy and they would let people loose in the woods and he would hunt them down? Manhunter. No, I haven't. It sounds oh. excellent, though. I feel, I feel like y'all would like that, but that just made me think of it because uh, a trick that everybody would try to use, because Manhunter was a master tracker, is they would cut the soles off of another pair of shoes and glue them on backwards, so when they were running, it would look like they were running the other way. Nice. But nice. He, could, he could tell by the footfall, and he would just, Manhunter would ride up on his horse, he never got off, and he would look Shh. down and just say... They're not running backwards. <laughs> I you fucking ever? remember Manhunter. He was you like a cowboy. It? Yes, you saw he it. Would, they would just be, it was like a fucking game show with And they a would cowboy. fire a flare and he'd have like 48 hours to find him. Oh, <laughs> fuck. I loved Manhunter. Yeah, really <laughs> the reason I didn't know that is because you said Canadian. He was a Canadian cowboy. That was my first. He just, he said his O's differently. That's how I remember. <laughs> my, my dad lived in Canada for the first like nine years of his life and he's convinced he's Canadian. So I avoid oh, that, everything technically. Canadian. That would be, make him Canadian, though. He's not fucking Canadian. He's lived in Columbus, Ohio for the other fucking 40 years of his life. It balances out. 
Can you get us on Manhunter? I think it. I don't know if it's on TV anymore, but that would be. Will you hunt us? Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to see that in the in the city here, where we have to. <laughs> you got to do that fucking show where they get you naked and drop you on an island. Now that <laughs> naked and afraid. Have you guys seen that? I love that fucking show because like being naked is my worst nightmare. Even like just in my bathroom alone. <laughs> uh, so. Hold on. Y'all are a few years apart, though, right? So, and you didn't meet till you were doing the podcast. No, we didn't. Um, I am 38, and uh, he's younger than me. See, I don't know his age. <laughs> I'm 33, but all my, to- all my toys were hand-me-downs. It was all like Thundercats, Silverhawks, Transformers. It was like everything that he played with just because I didn't get brand new toys when I was a kid. So we clicked pretty well. Oh, yeah. You got the second gen of the... Yeah. Really, we were both... Like, the, the, the truth is, we were both, like, very pop culture obsessed growing up. We were both, like, we both know a bunch of really fucking stupid shit. Like, what was going on on M- MTV in 1993. It's like, mm-hmm. we both know all that shit, which is weird because we're not at all anymore. But, like, all of our, like, memories are basically the same. It's fucking weird. I don't know, like... I feel like to- toys are a good kind of way to link people together, though. I had a... In kindergarten, we had a whole section of action figures and things like that, and uh, I started pocketing them. I was about five. I'd do, like, one a week. And uh, I had this pillowcase behind the couch in our living room, and I would... When my parents were looking, I would pull it back, and I would drop, like, a, you know, a, a He-Man cat or something back there and slide it shut... And I, had to, I was kind of like edging with the toys because I couldn't play with them <laughs> until my folks would leave and then my babysitter Heidi would come over and uh, as, soon as, as soon as the transition happened, I would run and yank them out and just you know, start playing with them and hide the pillowcase. But one time she saw me putting them back and uh, narked me out. Oh, and I had babysitters, to, man. I you should to, hear about Brett's from old babysitters. Yeah, was, <laughs> yeah. I had a similar thing. When I was a kid, uh, my babysitter taught me how to steal at an early age. <laughs> so, like, she would set up necklaces and stuff around the house, like on doorknobs or, like, open medicine cabinets. And we would, like, practice sliding it up, the, the, uh, up our shirt and then, like, hooking it on our thumb or something and just, like, walking out the door. <laughs> So we moved when I was like 11 or 12, and I threw like a soccer ball-sized keychain ball. Like it was just all these keychains. We would go to the mall, and I would steal keychains. And then I'm like, this collection is getting too fucking big. And then my mom's like, we're moving. I was like, the furniture in here? Because there's all kinds of stuff hidden. So I have to like run in the middle of the night and throw away everything I had stolen including this gigantic soccer ball that wouldn't even go down I had to like kick it down the manhole Jesus the, the sewer I had a party one time when I was like 17 or when I was like 17 my parents would go camping every weekend and we would have these fucking massive parties they were stupidly huge for a bunch of teenagers it's kind of like getting kicked out of a hotel for smoking weed in a way <laughs> you would just go way too big and you would have a fucking trash can, like one of those big Rubbermaid trash cans full of bottles and cans and shit. Mm-hmm. And we would walk down the street and stuff that thing down the sewer. <laughs> Wait, what's... Or, or leave it in the playground of a school. What's the, what's, the ca- what's the can deposit in Ohio? None. That's Michigan. Oh, Michigan yeah. We had 10 cents. You didn't throw that shit away. Oh, 10 cents. I had a nickel. Me and my dad, we used to run through with the magnets. That's how I got that uh, NES game Skate or Die was off of cans. 
from returning them? Yeah, yeah. That's good. Great game. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, speaking of shoplifting, uh, last last uh, Christmas around that time, uh, we were visiting Claire's family in Tucson, and uh, her dad took her little brother, her half-brother, he's six, to this place, and he shoplifted uh, a pack of gum. And he got caught, he took it back, and made him return the pack of gum. And during the return, he swiped another one. <laughs> And, that's, that's a good move. And he brought it home, and he got caught again. And I remember having this really conflicted conversation with him, and I was just sort of like, my man, like you stole from sort of like a bougie, gentrifying coffee shop thing, which is, in and of itself, is not a problem. But you've created a situation for your dad sure, where, sure. like, you know, that's, that's where the problem is. But, it, but he can own, he's going to own the world if he has that kind of kind of uh, confidence. I mean, he can go anywhere. With I that. suppose, yeah. I just, but I realize that I, I don't know if I'm equipped to be a parent because of the inherent contradictions and in things and how right. tough that must be. And both of you are parents, right? Yeah, it, you know, my kid watches me steal. She's so fucking. She's so annoyed. She's so annoyed at my new technique. But you know that she has to like be like, that's fucking awesome that my dad does it. What I do is I go to the self-scan checkout and uh-huh. I take a small expensive thing and just throw it in the bag. And it'll be like, uh, please remove the last item from the scanner and wait. And I'll just stand and be like, what the fuck, man? This technology is fucking stupid. It's almost quicker to go through the regular line. And then they'll fucking clear it because they don't want some angry white dad fucking screaming in their face. Yeah, I, uh, I did a podcast recently with these guys. They were all younger and they're wearing like filthy hoodies they've been in for a month. And they're like, what, why are you dressed up all nice? And I, I said, I was like, look, guys, look, it's way easier to get away with theft when you look like this. If you wear like a filthy hoodie, you're not going to get anything. I can walk out of any store I want with my shirt tucked in and I get all any I can get away with anything. So be a normie. Consider going to the thrift store, get yourself some, get like some gap button-up shirts and some khakis and get away with fucking murder. <laughs> uh, would when you were growing up, were there specific comedians that either of you were into, or does the sense of humor kind of come from... I, I feel like you have a similar disposition to a lot of the people that I knew in the Midwest, which is just you kind of develop this... Uh, I didn't love stand-up comedy. Actually, the first time I ever made somebody laugh, I went to my elementary school and did a fucking Louis Anderson bit, and everybody was losing their fucking minds, and I was like, I could do this. <laughs> But uh, no, I didn't really love it. I watched a lot of wrestling and stuff, and like so, a lot of my hero- heroes were pro wrestlers or mm-hmm. like man, Bobby the Brain Heenan. I think is like one of the funniest guys, rest in peace, that ever lived. <laughs> or and like um, when I turned seventeen, I read Private Parts. Oh. And <laughs> I remember in, in I saw sc- the movie. I didn't read it, but <laughs> I saw I read it in in school suspension for my like forty seventh day in a row. Did they? <laughs> Did they? Did you get in trouble for having that type of literature in a school setting? When you're like I was in high school, they would just like it if you'd sit quietly. They saw you had a book. So yeah. they, they do not care what you do. So I read that book and then later got into like Opie and Anthony and I liked those guys. I until, thought you were going to say opiates. Yeah, well, yeah, that too. I mean, I was. Until Anthony turned into a Nazi. I need to like <laughs> let you guys know I didn't like them when they got... I mean, when they were 
covertly racist, it was one thing. But it was when they got overtly racist, I was out. You know. <laughs> but Ron Bennington is kind of my Ron Bennington and Patrice O'Neill. Those are my two guys. I think they're the two funniest guys in the world. Yeah. So I get twenty twenty hindsight on this a little bit, and like a lot of what we do was simply based around the idea. Like he said, we went to stand up shows, open mics, and all of that, and it seemed like people were trying to do. Uh, general big city type thing that would apply to a lot of audiences and so we wanted to do something different and like also troll at the same time so if you say you're proud of being from Ohio that pisses people off immediately if you say you like square pizza that pisses people off immediately so a lot of it was about finding our own voice but I think the most inspiration for me was when I used to stay with my grandma we could stay up all night and we watched Saturday Night Live and like just watching that like blew me away. Adam Sandler and uh, Chris Farley and Phil Hartman and all of that. And then later I used to watch um, In Living Color. So for me, it was always character-based stuff. I was like so afraid. It's really so I took so long to get into this and I was so into like drama and performance and all of these things, but it just, I was too afraid to ever go for it and there was no environment. But I was really focused on these people that would put themselves out there and make these characters. And that's where a lot of the humor of the show, I think, comes from, is instead of doing, like, an impression of somebody famous, we do an impression of a guy in a break room. And, sure. like, everybody kind of knows who we're talking about. Everybody has a, a Ben or whatever, a, a Mark, whoever is this really stale guy in the room. So we get to... Stale. Sorry, sorry all the Bens and Marks. I owe you a drink or a vape hit. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was big for me. I did pay attention to a lot of stand-up. I even remember when I was, like, 20 to one of my friends. He was like, you should go on that MTV show Made and do, like, stand-up comedy. I'm like, that's fucking crazy. No way. I'm, I'm throwing boxes for $9 an hour. I love this. <laughs> no, that's the other thing with me is, like, I have a hard time. Uh, I don't like to repeat stuff. And I think sometimes, like, jokes can come off sounding corny, and I don't really know how to not do that, so I just do this. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that's what happened. And he's right, too. I mean, like, any Midwestern or mid-sized city, you go and you watch comedy. They're not talking like people from... A, they're talking about people like people from here. And mm -hmm. it doesn't track with anybody that lives there. Like, fucking... I, this is the first time I've ever been to New York. Like, I don't know anything about the fucking subway. So, like, I just wanted to talk about what it's like to be a guy that, like, is just trying, like, kind of a scumbag that's trying to get by in life, you know? Or, yeah, or like, what if, what if you're plopped in the middle of an exurb with a whole bunch of time on your hand? That was our, that was my lived experience. I don't know what it was like to be in the center of culture or anything like that, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. Um... What was it that happened that, and I assume that it probably happened separately from the two of you and then you sort of crossed paths, but you've talked a little bit about on the show like when you got radicalized or when your politics changed, and I'm curious what it was that sort of shifted that for both of you. It happened at exactly the same time. That's why we're like brothers. That's why I love this guy. Because like, you know, Obama got elected... Uh, I uh, immediately assumed we were going to have like some kind of a black communism sort of thing, and I was very excited about it. <laughs> we were both rooting for that, and it wasn't the same time, because three months in, he was like, fuck this Obama guy, he's like a goddamn liar. And I'm like, hold up a second, who knows? It's three months. He's like, I'm done with this. I thought this was going to be the promised land. 
And then three months later, Brett was like, fuck this Obama guy. You know, I can't fucking deal with this shit anymore. And then it was like the, the it's real corny. It's like the drone strike thing hit us both super hard. And we just became those guys that only, only, only fucking talk about drone strikes. Nothing else. Nothing. And it's like, who the fuck are you going to radicalize? Like only talking about just this thing that happens all the way across the world. Like they don't fucking care. So, you know, as 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 I got I guess smarter, I guess, I went to college in the middle of this thing, you know. Well, instead of college, I studied with Alex Jones for quite some time. So uh, I knew that both the Democrats and Republicans were reptilians. Yeah, so I was ready for that. I was I just needed a reason. I was like, Obama's reptilian, I'm out of the Democrats. Done. <laughs> That's a, every time an ever like Every time some politician that everybody wants gets elected, I'm always just like, everybody's going to like leave America now, man, because like they're not going to do anything. Never happens. People are always like, I'm still a Democrat. I, I think we can get them to turn. You know? And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. I don't think anybody's turning. Yeah. But- the, yeah. The, I mean, there was, so it was a lot of back and forth with us. I think just um, for me, I was... I was out and against George W. Bush, which was easy to do when he was the president. I was po- for George W. Bush when he was the president. <laughs> so, but I, I had this list of things that I didn't stand for. Like I, I was already against imperialism. I was against um, this, the terrorism. I was against uh, all of the, uh, the Patriot Act and all of those things. So I thought like when the Democrats came around and they started doing the same old stuff – that we were all going to give them the same shit that we gave to George W. Bush. And other people were like, I'm fine with this. And mm-hmm. I was just so disillusioned by that that I had to, I was just like, this is not for me. And I, I'm not going to lie to myself. You know? Yeah. 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 I kind of went through a thing like, so I, like every fucking idiot Midwestern dad, was like, I'm having a kid. I need to pay attention to politics now. <laughs> So I have a kid, and, and I was kind of like a, a trending toward Republican a little bit because I, I, I was a cable guy for seven years. And for four of those years, you're driving around in a car. There's, if you want to listen to people talking on the radio, you, all that's there is conservatives. And they're telling you, like, you know, everybody, these liberals are fucking you over, man. And, and it just it feels like somebody's actually talking to you where it was mm. like, there was nobody else doing that. Like sure. there, and then Air America came out, and coincidentally, I turned into a Democrat. <laughs> so it's pretty much whoever was talking to me. I was like, yeah, you got a lot of... This motherfucker makes a lot of good points. Um, well, I think some of the stuff that... and I, You know, I get pretty nerded out on different types of political podcasts, Intercepted, or listening to talk radio and things like that, primarily from a more liberal or left side. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about Street Fight is that some of the stuff that y'all tackle, um, whereas, let's say I listen to an episode of Intercepted, and it's just like, listen to how, you know, literally horrible everything is in these superstructures that I have, literally nothing that I do is going to change any of it. And something about the topics that you seem to tackle or the way that you incorporate different voices onto the show seems far more engaging, even if some of the things are a little bit smaller. And just as an example, I was listening to a very recent episode, and I lived in Portland, Oregon for several years, and you were talking to the people that were attempting to unionize uh, Burgerville, which is, I don't know if anybody in the audience knows Burgerville, but in, in, 
In the Pacific Northwest, it's this kind of like Northwest In-N-Out Burger that posits itself as very local, really sort of sustainable and all these things. And you do feel like you're voting with your dollar when you go there and you assume that the employees are being treated a certain way. I had literally, I mean, I'm obviously naive. I should have assumed, you know, any business is going to do that. But I just sort of thought like, no, it's got to be better than these other places. But you did a whole episode with these two people and that completely... Like kind of changed my perspective on the whole thing. And I, I realized that I was just being this kind of lib consumer that was like, well, you know, they say sustainable. So I'm yeah, I mean, stuff here. it's always funny because you, you like all the you never hear them say like they basically treat the cows better than they treat the employees. You know, <laughs> that's what it always comes down to, because it's like. Well, yeah, we're paying a minimum wage. I mean, Burgerville was a huge thing. Like talking to those people about Burgerville was a big thing for me because I kind of wondered I, I had wondered what it was like to try to unsuccessfully organize a workplace. You know what I mean? And like what what it's like personally to sit at a table across from another employee and say, we're going to try to make a fucking union and how they would act. And, I, and getting that input on that really was that was important. That was actually one of the more important episodes. I, mean, I was really blown away by like even the courage to try to do something like that. And the fucking ruthless way that they were treated by that company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and for us, I think it, it hit a point where um, we were very, we were, you know, we wanted to put some sort of talk radio. I mean, I got into the podcasting thing very early, like 2007, 2008, and I was blown away with the people that, the voices that I was hearing. It felt like early uh, cable TV where, like, anybody could have a show, anything could happen. And so we got into the game thinking that we were doing this the, wanting to be political and all of those things, but after a few years in, we had the listenership. We the people knew who, what we did, and it was like we just need to be funny first because when, whenever we try to crack a joke, all of a sudden it becomes about like shouldn't everybody get paid a living wage? I'm not doing it on purpose, but that's just like where my mind is at, you know. And like that doesn't work with my my in laws, you and, know. <laughs> they don't want to hear about peace on earth. <laughs> When, when, when you're like, now the world, what, what also helped us a lot, really, I think, this is, this is something that helped me, because I kind of, if people don't realize that I steer the show, I come up with the stories, and I do that, and then he comments basically on the stories, and, um, oh, thank you. <laughs> so, I, you're I, the Pete, you're the Pete Wentz of Fallout Boy, you're like, you're sort of the... The architect who's kind of behind in the shadows. Well, he's so fucking good at the radio stuff, isn't he? Like, it's just fucking, when that show pops on, it's like, hey, hey, there's fucking all kinds of energy. I got all that websites right. (laughs) When I used to do it, because when I used to do it, I'm like, hey, you're listening. You've heard the third show. Hey, you're listening to Street Fight. Uh, (laughs) I don't have to do anything on this show because you're already on Patreon. Here's my guest. And like, um, so like I put those things together and, and, you know, we're friends with the guys from Chapo. We're friends with the guys from District Sentinel Radio. We're friends with the people from, with Roque and Qmars from uh, Delete Your Account. And like, if you look at those shows, you know, Chapo talks about pundits and they fucking destroy them. They destroy the punditries. They, de- they destroy the politicians. Um, the Sams do an excellent job of covering the news and telling you what's going on procedurally in the government, you know? 
And um, I think to delete your account, they do a really good job of talking about organizing and collective action. And so I felt like what we had that none of them had was that, like, we're in the fucking middle of the shit. And uh, we can talk about what it's like to work in the United States. Because I think that, like, um, so much labor reporting doesn't really focus on what it's actually like to be at work. And, like, you'd be so surprised at, like, the DMs I get from people who are like, shit, you just said exactly what my work situation is. And I'm like, yeah, it's fucking everybody's like that. Well, it seems like the... Um, I mean, it's become sort of a hilarious trope in the call-in shows where somebody will call in from a particular type of business and begin to express, like, a thing about their boss, and you'll guess what the small business owner is doing to them before they finish the sentence. And, and it's the same across the board. And I think that that's, uh, that's something that, you know, I think I always knew from working at places, but until I heard it expressed multiple times to really... Because when you work in one of these places, you feel like you're part of a family or like a team and everybody's kind of in it together and there's no HR person, but you're being fucked. Well, it, oh, yeah. It's only a family because you put up with way too much dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that qualifies as a family is that someone will say, fuck you, fuck you, I hope you die, clock in at eight tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, and, and, uh, and for me, like, I, I had no other prospects. Like, I, I followed my wife to Dallas, Texas, and I had a decent job where we were at. I was providing for both of us at the time. But when I rolled into a new city with no degree and I'm just going through Craigslist, it's like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do any of these. Sound. These all are all scams. These all look like scams. And I, I, the, one of the jobs I ended up having in Dallas, the whole time they were like, you know, we hired, we've hired a few eBay guys in here, and they just disappear in the middle of the night in six months. And that was exactly my fucking plan. <laughs> I needed it for six months, and then I disappeared on them, just like the last Jeff did. <laughs> a lot like most, like... See, what I went through was what most fucking 24-year-olds are going through. Like, I finished college, and I wasn't getting that financial aid check anymore, and I needed to bring money into the house. So I ended up working at first a deli that I uh, <laughs> threw salad dressing at the boss and told him to go fuck himself. What, what dressing? What? All of it. So what happened was... The ramekin tray. <laughs> I had a tray of ramekins with the tops on them. There were probably about 60 of them in there. And uh, I went to set it down, and he was like, what are you, fucking stupid? And I was like, what? And he was like, there's a piece of meat right there. And I'm telling you, it was the this, this smallest little crumb of fucking meat. And he said... There's a piece of meat right there. I was like, guess what, buddy? Go do it yourself. And I pushed it across the table, and it busted all over the floor and went all over this guy's feet. And I said, fuck you. You're an asshole, and nobody here likes you. So I went from, I, <laughs> I went from that to a camera store. Where they were like, hey, we're fucking pretty hip here, man. You can wear whatever clothes you want. We're going to treat you pretty nice. And I was like, uh, okay. They were like, it says here you're asking for $9 an hour. Can you do it for eight forty-five? And what I was like, fuck? shit, this doesn't seem like a family. And then as I worked there, 
I tried to take days off, uh-huh. and they denied every single fucking one. For 8.45 an hour, they denied every day off. So, you know, then we did the thing in Philadelphia, so I quit and was like, fuck you, I'm leaving, you know? <laughs> no, one of my favorite parts about that job, though, is when he came to me, he was like, I went to the Bernie Sanders rally today, my fucking boss was there. <laughs> like... He's holding a sign for like $15 an hour and paying me $8.45. What? It's like, take some initiative, buddy. (laughs) That's the genesis of small business tyrants was I did run into this guy at a fucking Bernie Sanders rally that is not giving me insurance, is not like paying me even close to what a minimum wage would be. And he's like, fuck, I wish everybody was doing better. It's like, you have some power in that. You could really do something here. Um, What do they say to themselves? Because, you know, when we go into these places, we say like, I got to have the fucking job, you know. Uh, Old Terry's nice, I guess. He's nice enough. He doesn't yell at me anymore. Like, what do they say? Like, fight for 15. Not really, though. Let's fucking hold back on that a little bit. I used to work for, uh, in in my freshman year of college, between the first year and the second year, I went home to Traverse City, Michigan, and at night I delivered pizzas for Domino's, and during the day I worked for the city streets department. So I got to drive one of those little yellow, like, uh, S10 pickups with a thing on the top. And, you know, I kind of took it seriously. I had to be there really early, and my job was to clean up uh, different parking lots around town, mow the lawns and the medians and things like that. Fucking dream job for me when I was a kid. <laughs> it, was, it, was, well, it was pretty chill because, like, a couple weeks in, I met these older guys. They're probably in their 50s. They've been doing it for years, and I was sent out in a truck with one of them, and they did some sanitation thing or something. And, uh, you know, we left the shop, drove around for about 15 or 20 minutes, and we went into the subdivision that uh, my godmother actually lived in. And I was like, oh, I know. Quail Ridge, like, yeah, I've been up here before, and he kept driving, then we went around, and I was like, oh, there's a housing development back here, nobody lives here, I don't know what the streets department is doing, then he just drove to the bottom of a cul-de-sac, really far away from this construction, he just sat there, turned the car off, and laid back and went to sleep. (laughs) And I was just sitting in the passenger seat, and I was like, God, what the fuck is this guy doing, you know, and then I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll take a nap too, and so we... (laughs) I took a nap just sitting there, and, you know, he left the radio on, like, kind of quiet, just so it wasn't weird. And then to I, lull you to sleep. Yeah, and then I woke up, and he's like, and he was like, I'm just letting you know how we do things around here. He's like... Oh, that is so... He was like... I, I used to fucking... I used to do that at the cable company yeah. when they would send somebody to ride with me. I'd be like, you want me to just drop you off at home and just yeah, come yeah. pick you up later? <laughs> like, I'd take them to my house and like play video games with yeah, them yeah. and shit. I got really good. If I found all kinds of places to sleep around the city. And uh, I would just turn on, you'd turn on your squawk box real loud because it would, if you heard, I started to have a truck 137. I wouldn't wake up for any other number. But if I heard that, it would jerk me awake. And I would jump in and drive the thing around and go back and like say that I was doing something. But... That was the best job I ever had because I also had, it was my first experience with any authority and I could take, I had, the whole back of the truck was orange cones because I had to block off things to mow and stuff and I would just arbitrarily shut down major intersections in the city. <laughs> like during the summer in Traverse City, they have this thing called the Cherry Festival. It's like a million people come to Traverse City, Michigan. It's like a hundred times the population and I would just go and block like the major intersection by the bay. And then like the guys thought it was hilarious because I was like, I was like, it seems like when there's 15 of you standing around a manhole smoking cigarettes and one of you is down there that he's the only one doing anything. And they were like, mm-hmm. Like, what? 
Like, what the fuck do you want? We're being paid. They're like adults. They're being paid like $8 an hour. Like, they don't give a shit. And, and I learned to respect. That was my first, like, oh, yeah, working class. Thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, I mean, being able to, like, that is part of, like, any career. Like, because growing up for me, it was like, you got to get a fucking job at the electric company, the cable company, or for the fucking city, which I succeeded in. I got a job at the cable company. And when I got there, I was like, this fucking sucks, man. They, like, paid me nine fifty an hour to start out and like but they let me drive around in a van all day so I loved it I was like fuck it you know well you had it but I'm sorry I want you to tell the story though about how you got your future boss like how how he made his moves by talking oh shit yeah 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 what happened was like so this fucking guy gets a job with us and uh he he He's being trained, and the guy that's training him takes him to his house, and he fucking plays video games with him. This fucking trainee goes in, and he's like, hey, it's cool that we get to play video games all day. And they were like, what the hell happened? Now he's a, he was a manager when I left. Like, he leapfrogged me so fast. In the company, like, I saw him move up, and that's when I was like, management is all bad. Like, it's us versus them. <laughs> Wait, Brett, so what kind, of, what kind of jobs were you doing? I always hear you talking on the show about being a secret shopper and weird things like that. Like, what yeah, is, what? It, It's a good way to make money. Uh, well, I started out, I did, like, collections over the phone. <laughs> but, like, I... Were you really the- lenient? Huh? Yes, I was. Like, someone would tell me a sad story, and I'd be like, fuck, that is so fucked up. Your mom did that to you with your social? <laughs> Let me get you some credits. You give me some five, you give me five dollars a month this whole year, I'm going to credit you back all your late fees. And they did not like that. <laughs> I, I figured out how to sit on the phones for a while, and then I ended up driving a forklift. Because my dad drove one when I was a kid, and then I realized why we ate buttered noodles for dinner all the time. <laughs> but that's what I, that was my, I, like, I really just wanted to drive power equipment. If the, it, I would have never be on this stage if they would have just gave me $18 an hour to drive that forklift. <laughs> I say that too. I would never have done this if somebody would have paid me $18 an hour to throw boxes in the back of a truck. <laughs> like that's all I fucking wanted. When I was a kid, I was like, just pay me $18 an hour and tell me to pick this thing up and take it over there. And that'll really fucking be just the dream for me. And then when I found out like, ah, shit, it doesn't exist. I was like, I guess I gotta be a comedian. Now. I'm sure they have an algorithm, though, that lands right in the middle about how much people will get paid before they get radicalized and how long they can kind of ride that out. And so I'm sure, that, I'm sure they've done the numbers and they lost two of you, but they've kept yeah, as long plenty. As, they as long as they don't pay minimum, they're fine. Like, they're like, minimum 725 that's unacceptable. We'll give you 750 like, Okay, fine. This is a stable position now. <laughs> <laughs> they told me they told me at the cable company we have a no layoff policy and then people were like hey they will fire you though if they don't like you and it's like well shit man that does that there's no security in this either there was just it, it seemed like everywhere i went uh, after high school there was no fucking security and that is really like even if you're making eight or nine dollars an hour or something uh, the job feels so precarious that that's, I think, what fucks with people. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't really... I think people adapt to low wages and people adapt to not having insurance. But I think that always thinking that your job could go away tomorrow scares the shit out of everybody. And that's why we all have anxiety around our jobs. 
Well, and, and I'll tell you, the way that I got by when I worked at the warehouse... Oh, go ahead. Give, him, give it to him. <laughs> so, when, the, like, when, I was doing for, when I was doing the forklift, I was working for Abercrombie & Fitch. And so Woo! I would buy gift cards and sell them on eBay. Like, I would buy a gift card for... A $500 gift card for 300 bucks and sell it for, like, 450 So that was, like, making all the ends meet for me. Until they found that, found it and then fired me for it. So then I went to my other job, which was uh, working for this insurance. It was like a startup company. And basically what I did there was start Street Fight Radio. Well, I spent all of my time at work not doing my job. But Wage like, theft. Yeah, graphic design. All of our early stuff was done on the job. Who, and, does, who does double time at work? Yeah? All right, good. Got to have that hustle. That's what I like it, to hear. But then, so, so for me, so I was actually in a good place then. That's why my wife fell in love with me. She didn't know what to expect. Um, after we moved, though, I had nothing else. I worked for a magnet. This guy that was, it was a magnet. How do they work? Uh, I fucking love that guy, too. Uh, the guy he worked for, I just wanted to hug him every day because he was so mean to Brett. What is it? Wait, but really, what is a magnet? So, magnet. <laughs> No, I'm serious. I don't know. What that is. It's this piece of metal that trades ends and s's back and forth between each other, and it causes them to stick. What do you, mean, what do you mean you worked for a magnet? So I'm sorry. This guy was a magnet importer, rare earth oh. magnets. I thought it was like a magnet school. No, no, is that no. A, that's a thing, right? No, it was basically this guy. He had a business. He was up at 4 a.m. talking to distributors, and he gave he handed his boss over to this guy named John. And John was about 72 years old, and he wore a black sweatsuit every single day. Like sweatpants with a sweatshirt, Velcro shoes, and a cowboy hat. <laughs> that was his boss cowboy hat. Like, like Anna said. Like Anna said, yeah, yeah, the cowboy hat. <laughs> it made him jolly or whatever. But he really, he, like, he would vape. He, he was early on the vape, too. He had a USB one with like a whip. He looked like the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. But he would take a break from the vape to go outside and smoke Pall Malls. But when he wasn't doing all of that, I mean, that, that nicotine gave him, like, eagle-eye vision. Because I was in the office with him, and he would just watch my screen. I was like, don't you, are you doing work over there, or are you just watching me on Twitter right now? I don't get it. He fucking would, like, the funniest thing is, like, Brett one time told me when we were about to do the show, he was talking on the phone for, like, two hours before we do the show, and Brett was like, this motherfucker got behind me and started massaging my soul- shoulders, <laughs> and, and I think he was threatening me. It was a, it was a hard squeeze. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, we need you to stay on task here. I was like, okay, I get it, I get it. I won't complain. I'd have whooped his ass, though. That's what I would have done to him. That place was awful, though, because instead of giving you a raise, they would just buy you a Pizza Hut pizza on Friday. That's they like book that it. Enough. What, what's that? It's like book it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you got gold stars this week. You get a pizza. Um, so these days, is a Street Fight pretty much the full-time gig of what y'all are doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it couldn't be if I didn't have, like, an insanely great wife that makes enough money, and same with him. Like, we don't quite make... Because we don't get all that Patreon money. Um, so well, I wish we got make, all that. What? You're shipping stuff out. You're making zines. You're bagging Kratom. Yeah. yeah. So Basically. we don't get all that. But, but like, it's my full-time job. This is what I'm doing now. I'm not doing anything else. 
folks out there, someday you can do spreadsheets for yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the problem here. Brett has to do all of the business stuff. And I do all of the other stuff. So it's like really like it probably feels a hell of a lot more like a job to him than it does to me. Sort of like a you're like a podcast administrator. Customer service. I'm still CSR. Yeah, yeah. We don't have C-level suites in Street Fight. So, yeah, I'm just basically banging out on the phones trying to get high on my break. That's cool. Um, well, I mean, congratulations on sticking it out this long and doing all the things. And I think that, you know, a lot of the people who are here are obviously fans of Street Fight. And anybody who's listening to this episode who hasn't checked it out, I really encourage them to listen. It's, as I said earlier, a show that certainly touches on a lot of the politics that are things that people are talking about right now. But, again... You seem to focus on people and stories and in areas where it feels a little bit like you can get involved or maybe it's something about... I mean, I started getting... You know, when I started listening to Street Fight, I got thrilled about stealing from my boss. I mean, mean, I'd I'd always been... (laughs) I'd always stolen from every job. Every job I'd ever had, I'd stolen from. But I grew up Irish Catholic. I felt horrible about it. And then You're you're in a guilt-based, like, motivation. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, now I'm just like, well, why the fuck... What is the... What poster did y'all post the other day that was like, if you're not stealing from your boss, you're stealing from your family that you saw somewhere? (laughs) That thing fucking ruled. I couldn't believe that. It's Uh, making the rounds. We saw it in Milwaukee and Columbus. Like, ah, it's going around. Nice. Um, Well... Guys, thank you so much for stopping by tonight and doing the live episode. Thank you to everybody in the audience. Thank you again to uh, Taylor for running sound, to Zach for hosting, and one more time for Anna Fabrega and Julio Torres, please. Thanks, Screedlers. We'll see you next week. And I'm fearful, I'm fearful, I'm fearful of flying And flying is fearful of me And I covered my eyes when she told me the news Turning me on with my lightsaber cocksucking And I'm making from fucking too much And I know what I do And it all points to you Did you sell me to Wanderlust? And I'm fearful, I'm fearful, I'm fearful of flying And flying is fearful of me And I covered my eyes when she told me the news Turning me on with my lightsaber cocksucking Are you